0: Welcome to the Central Baptist Church podcast. Located in the heart of Victoria, B.C., we are a church that seeks to renew our community through the gospel. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is Psalm 46, so please turn to Psalm 46 in your Bibles, or you can choose to follow along on the worship handout. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. You may be seated.
1: Uh, Thanks, Susan, for reading so well. Uh, What a psalm. Psalm 46. Many of you know this. Psalm, it's a uh, privilege for me to sort of bring some thoughts, some challenging thoughts about the psalm to you uh, this morning. But just before we begin, uh, would you please just join me in in prayer? Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this moment in time when we are here and we are attentive. Father, I just ask that you would speak uh, and that we would hear what your spirit has to say to your church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, this morning I want to take you through a little a bit, step-by-step uh, step through Psalm 46, a, a favorite of mine. One that has actually, over the, especially over the last couple of years, or yeah, a couple of years during this pandemic, has come to mind regularly as I've wrestled with the challenges. Um, but before I go any farther, I want to ask you a question here. And this may seem obvious, but but I want us to think, get thinking right off the bat here. Do you trust God? And, uh, and maybe some of you are thinking, uh, you know, what are you talking about, Scott? I mean, this is Central Baptist Church. This is what we do here. We trust God, right? Well, if, that, if that's the case, that's great. But I can't help but wonder, simply because this is the kind of question that's been rolling around in my mind over these last couple years, as I said, as we've wrestled with the impacts of the pandemic, and truly, it's a question that only I can answer for myself, only you can answer for yourself, right? I mean, people around us uh, can get maybe a hint here and there, and maybe could offer a guess, But ultimately, this is the kind of question that only you can answer, only I can answer for ourselves. Do you trust God? And as as I've mentioned, the lessons from this psalm uh, have resonated in my mind over the last year, mainly because I have to admit, I've been a little caught off guard by the way people are treating each other amid this health crisis. I mean, I'm not surprised that we have different opinions on things. We have different ideas. We have different approaches. I'm not surprised at those kinds of differences. What I am shocked, especially by those of us who claim to be Christians, is how we're treating each other in the process. And no, I'm not going to talk much about this. But, but as I said, the whole purpose of this is because it's resonated. This treatment has resonated in my own heart. Because there's something familiar about it to me about how I act and how I react. Maybe some of you can relate. And, and here's what I think the, uh, the challenge is. I know that if my internal life is somehow disturbed or out of order, that my external life is disrupted. I know that if, I, if I'm anxious about something, for instance or frustrated, or fearful, or angry. I'll be short with my family. I'll pull back from my friends. I'll resist the promptings of the Holy Spirit or miss them entirely. Now, I don't always realize when it's going on, but when I do, and I'm reminded about these kinds of things, it helps me regain my footing. And I think this is one of the principles that is kind of exposed, that this pandemic has sort of exposed about humanity, is that when our internal life is disrupted or not in order, it's easy to lash out. It's easy to try to grab control or try to gain control of our external life. But this psalm, I think, challenges us to do something different. So let me ask you again. Do you trust God? Well, I think this Psalm 46 has an opportunity for us, provides an opportunity for us, a moment for us to consider an answer to that question. And and what I want to do with this psalm is I want to start kind of big picture, look at sort of, the psalm as a big picture, and then kind of step us through little by little until we get to, for for me, what is kind of the, the star of the show, verse 10, right? Be still and know that I am God. What does that mean? Because if you read the psalm, you realize that this, that verse 10 is a little bit of an intrusion. It's a bit of an intruder in the flow of the psalm. And so we're going to discover why I think that's the case. So first of all, let's look at the wide view a little bit. Scholars aren't totally certain of the historical kind of context for this psalm, but some think that it might have been written after or during the kind of the throes of the destruction of the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. We read about that in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. might have been the destruction a little bit later um, of the army of the Assyrian king Sennacherib. You can read about that in 2 Kings 8, 18 and 19. But the language of the psalms suggests that in some way, the world of the psalmist seems to be either crashing down or just recovering from a time when it started to crash. And that is important, I think, for us to take note of. Because of the things noted in the psalm are two, I think, two of the greatest existential threats to the human being. Right? Extreme political menace and extreme natural menace. And in terms of instigating instability in our lives, right, those are a couple of whoppers. In other words, the psalmist presents the message in a context of extremes. And I think this is kind of a principle of, in, in the Bible that we can find, right? When, whenever we've got this wonderful kind of extreme presented to us, things like, you know, when the mountains are trembling and when the nations are in an uproar, these, these great kind of extremes, that the message is that when God can handle those situations in our life, he can handle the, the, the individual issues that we face. You know, when our marriage is in trouble, or maybe we lose a child to, to health, or we, we struggle with our health of our own. The psalm was divided nicely to us, and I appreciate Susan reading uh, the Silas, right it, The Silas many scholars think it 's a musical notation, right? it might have been a place where the lead guitarist was to break out in a screaming solo, or maybe the pianist was directed to play a soft interpretation of the melody. Or it might have been just a time of silent reflection, a pause, a rest in musical notation. So given that there are three sealers, we'll quickly draw three summaries of the three uh, themes in this psalm before getting to verse 10. The first Sila shows up at the end of verse 3, so we'll consider verses 1 to 3 kind of our first unit. In these uh, three verses, we have a declaration of the person of God, his very presence acts for us something like a place of refuge. When everything else is falling apart, even those things we might never, or we think might never give way, the mountains and the seas, otherwise immovable features in life, even then God remains steadfast. Nothing can shake God. Nothing can move God. Nothing can overpower God. This is an image of kind of strength. It's a sure-footedness, right? Imagine, maybe some of you have seen races, you know, sprints on TV. Maybe some of you have, have participated in, in sprints, right? Where you've got those blocks. You start on those blocks. You have something firm to start with, to push off from. Or maybe some of you are curlers, and you know that the hacks are there to help push off, to get the, to get the rocks down into the house. This is the image I think these first three verses are talking are, are presenting about God. That he is strong. He is firm. He is a place. It's the same image that Jesus teaches in in the parable about uh, the two people who are building houses. One chooses to build a house in the sand. One chooses to build a house on a rock, right? It takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of work to build a house on a rock, as maybe some of you know, building here in, in Victoria, but this is the, the impression, right? God is strong. He's firm. He, he's, uh, he, he's, he's worth building your life on. This is the firmness. Verses 1 to 3 then could be summed up with a phrase from verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. He is firm. Then building on the first seal, the second one adjusts the context slightly to focus on political turmoil. But uses similar language. Instead of waters, uh, waters roaring and mountains shaking, it's the nations roaring and shaking. In the midst of that chaos, amidst the powerlessness that we might feel in the presence of, a, of, an, of an oncoming rushing army, many of us don't know that feeling, but we can probably imagine. And this is the, kind of the picture that the psalmist paints for us. We might feel weak, we might struggle, we might feel helpless. We might feel hopeless. But in the midst of these, even this situation, the psalmist assures us, God remains at peace. He remains a safe place. No human quest for power can surprise him. Nothing that humans can develop or plan or scheme can overwhelm him. In fact, as the psalmist points out, compared to the roiling and the fomenting of human society that depletes life, that sucks life from us, God's presence... Calms and rejuvenates like a river refreshing the land. This is the kind of image that we might see. Uh, or we might relate to sort of like a life preserver, right? In the, in the midst of, you, you, you feel like you're drowning in life, and somebody, maybe somebody comes alongside you and, and reaches out and starts to care for you and starts to ex- express love to you. It's that kind of life-preserving nature. This is what the psalmist is presenting in these three verses, in this section. Like uh, we read in in Matthew chapter 14. When Peter walked out onto the water to go visit Jesus. And then he began to get overwhelmed by the the waves and the water. And then Jesus reaches down and grabs him. and, And there is safety and security in the hand of Jesus. As Peter experienced. And this is the image that the psalmist is presenting us. In God's presence. Trusting our lives. Giving our lives. Submitting our lives. To God. There is. Safety. Life preserving. So verses 4 to 7 then can be summed up with the phrase from verse 7. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He is secure. Finally, the third Selah presents us with a moment to reflect on the absolute authority and power of God. That no other nation or people or principality or ruler or force of any kind can withstand the power of God when he acts in his time, every implement of opposition is rendered useless against the irrepressible force of God. The presence of God brings the hope of the end of conflict, of repression, of domination, and provides peace. This is the image that the psalmist is declaring about God. And in addition to the, everything in front of us, everything external to us, As we've been learning over the last number of weeks, even, and as Jesus demonstrated, and as Paul taught, even victory over the unseen realm. So verses 8 to 11 could be summed up with the phrase, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He is victorious. So this is the image of God. This is the declaration of God that the psalmist has been been describing, has been painting for us. God is firm. He's a strong place. God is secure. He's a safe place. His presence is safe. And ultimately, he is victorious. Nothing can thwart the plan of God. Well, nothing too surprising here, right? A great declaration, I think, for us to consider, for sure. But stuff that we've likely heard, especially maybe if we've been a Christian for a while or been around Central for a while... There are powerful things at work that affect our lives, but no matter how powerful these forces seem, even the most powerful of these, God is bigger and better. From the very beginning of the biblical narrative, God is never overwhelmed. Since humanity's rebellion in the Garden of Eden through being rejected by his chosen people, right to the very cross of his chosen one, his son, God remains the most powerful one in the room and is never put off course. But here's the thing, so why then, if this is a great kind of summary of the character of God that we're worshiping, that we're serving, that we're longing to get to know, why then interrupt this with verse 10? Why does God need to, as it were, sort of force himself into the, into the, into the conversation, say, be still and know that I am God? What's going on? Well, notice up until verse 10, the psalmist is making observations, offers commentary, displaying a deep faithfulness. And then, as I said, it's as if God breaks in on these words and says, you be still. You know that I'm God. So what is this phrase doing? So now let's focus on this phrase. Now, I'm going to save this, so I apologize to those of you who, uh, who like the details, but I'm going to save the be still part for the end, and I'm going I'm to talk first about the other sections of uh, that phrase. So it says, be still and know. So let's talk about and know for a moment here. As you may know, almost every reference in the Bible about knowledge isn't just simply about information acquisition, right? It's about experience. When God invites us to know him, it's not that he's inviting us to learn something about it. That's part of the process. Don't get me wrong. Understanding and growing. But he's inviting us to experience that for ourselves. Right? To live it out. To express it. To, to um, gain some experience realizing that God is, for instance, trustworthy. That he is safe. That he is firm. And that as we kind of build on these things, ultimately our faith grows and our hope grows to know that he will be victorious. But that's what he's inviting us to. That's what, for instance, Paul is inviting us to when he prays for the Philippians in, in chapter one of, of uh, the book of Philippians, that their love would overflow with knowledge. He is speaking of their experience. It's not that he was saying that you and I need to know more about love. He's saying we need to express our love. We need to live that love. We need to find ways and objects to um, demonstrate that love of God. And that's Paul's prayer for the Philippians. We read something similar in, in the book of Colossians. That the followers of Christ would grow in knowledge. It's not, again, simply about acquisition. It's about expression. It's about living it out. It's about our existence, making a declaration in itself of all of these things about who God is. It's about living out the character of God through our lives, making those tough decisions in those moments sometimes of trusting God, even though we don't always know the outcome. This mess- message is foundational, it's essential, it's at the very heart of what we call the gospel. Someone, somewhere is in trouble and only God can help. These are actually words of good news. These are the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. This is an invitation to experience this. Not just to know about it, to learn about it, know the details, but to experience it for ourselves. And this is primarily then why God is, is interrupting the psalmist to say, be still. I want you to know. That I'm God. I want you to experience that in your life, in your sphere of influence. So, biblical knowledge equals response, equals action. So, he says, Be still and know that I am God. And I'm gonna take this phrase uh, in two different ways really quickly. First, I wanna talk about the I, the emphasis is on the I. Be Be still and know that I am God. As we know, only someone present can properly use the first person singular. Only a subject, a person with a center of consciousness that is present can properly use the pronoun I. If we were in a crowd, remember those? Um, If we're in a crowd and we hear someone call out our name, Right, we don't really we don't know who's calling out our name. We might turn to where we we heard it, and then we might ask a question: Who said that? And then if we hear I did, what's our reaction? We're going to go look for the I that said that to discover why they're calling out our name. Right? This is this is what's being presented with uh, when God says, "Be still and know that I am God." He is present. And in fact, it's not just here that we see this, right? If we've been paying attention throughout the psalm, we realize he's been present every step of the way. Look at verse 1. God is a very present help. Look at verse 5. God is in the midst of the city. It's not just his name that that describes it, but it's his presence that's in in the city as well. And then in verses 7 and 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. This is a desire, a deep desire of God. And if you're familiar with the the story of Scripture, you see this. Time and time again, God's desire to be in relationship with us. God's desire to remove all the obstacles that prevent relationship with us. From the very beginning all the way through to the end, his desire is to be among us. That he would gather for himself a people, that we would be his people and that he would be our God. In present, in presence. This is one of the things that, about the Christian faith, can be, that could be easily missed because it's so familiar. Almighty God, right? Catch this. Almighty God, the creator of the universe, is present for you. Is present for me. In fact, this is, this is kind of the underlying narrative of this psalm. Is that it's not just God is firm, not just God is secure, not just God is victorious, but he's all of this for us. In addition to declaring his glory, this is part of the, uh, one of the kind of the foundational elements of God's nature, God's character, is that he is those things for us. And we have the opportunity to leverage those things, to engage those things, to experience those things. Throughout the biblical story, God is constantly descending into human lives, walking with Adam and Eve, appearing in storms and fires and smoke in visions and dreams, speaking directly and indirectly. God intentionally presents himself before us, culminating with the incarnation of his son. It is this presentation that best reveals who he is, and as you likely know, that presentation is striking. In his book, The Furious Longing of God, we have got a quote here. Brendan Manning explains this. By entertaining and entering human history, God has demolished all previous conceptions of who God is and what man is supposed to be. We are suddenly presented with a God who suffers crucifixion. This is not the God of the philosophers who speak with cool detachment about a supreme being. A supreme being would never allow spit on his face. This is how intentional... A God is about being with us. And then again, so moving on from the emphasis on the I to the emphasis on the God. Be still and know that I am God. He is God. He alone is sovereign. He alone transcends time and space. Mortality and evil can overcome each of these things that feel so inexorably tied to our existence. He is over all. Be still and know that I am God. Now let's look at that opening statement, be still. This term is actually a fascinating one. It's used uh, 45 times in the Hebrew scriptures and three times in the New Testament. Now, I don't normally do this, actually. When I, when I prepare a message or when I prepare to teach. I don't normally look up all the instances of a word. Normally, I'll just look up a few and go, yep, yeah, that's what I thought. But in this case, I was so surprised by the first few examples that I kept going and going. At first glance, the word comes across as a little bit, um, maybe obvious, right? Especially the way that we read it in our English translations, right? Be still. Relax. Maybe, it's, maybe you have the impression that it's sort of like sitting on your mother's lap, if you can remember doing that, right? When you've been hurt or when you're in pain or something, and she's just saying, it's okay, it's okay. But that doesn't seem to be what God is doing here. Not if we take the examples of how else it's used. In almost every other instance in the Bible, it actually has a negative connotation. It's a negative term. Here's a a few examples. In Exodus 5, when Pharaoh is just starting to get frustrated with Moses, and in response to the initial request for freedom, he makes brick making harder. He calls the Israelites lazy. That's our word. In several places in Deuteronomy, God promises not to leave or abandon the Israelites. Again, leave, abandon. Another example of our word. Throughout the historical books in in the Old Testament, in the face of various instances of trouble, like the advent of enemy armies, right? Just like our psalm, people are referred to as weak, failing, feeble, discouraged, and hands are said to go limp. All examples of our word. One final example of the use of our word, the four living creatures in the vision described in Ezekiel chapter one with massive, powerful wings demonstrating this uh, uh, immense power are said to lower or let down those wings when they hear the voice of God. God's voice overpowering even the most powerful. Be still. That's our word. The illustration that I, th- I think best captures the effect of this term comes from experiences that I had a couple years ago. I was uh, I was uh, had the privilege of of coaching some girls volleyball. Th- these girls were basically grade eight eight or, or nine, right, in that kind of age group. And and uh, at one time, I was coaching about six different teams, and uh, and and I would I would get there just before the end of school, kind of set up the nets and uh, get prepared for coaching, every once in a while after, um, you know, one of those longer days of school, the girls would come in with just all kinds of energy, right? Just buzzing, almost vibrating. And so they would just grab the balls, run around screaming and throwing them at each other. And, And, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I had have three, had three daughters, and so that kind of experience actually, I, I kind of relish. I, I love the sound of that when, when, when the kids can just kind of release. It's not that they were doing anything violent or, 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 or um, damaging. They were just expressing themselves. But here's the thing. The only way that I could get their attention in those times would be what? Those of you coached, no. Those of you who have played, no what do you do? You blow a whistle, right? And even sometimes it would take a few times, right? To blow the whistle, to get their attention because we still had something to do. We still had lessons to learn. We still had something important, not that what they were doing was wrong or bad, but we had something to do. We had a strategy and I wanted to gather them back and help them to refocus on that. This term be still in this psalm acts like God's whistle in our lives, Yes, God is interested in all the external things, right? And yes, God is victorious and will be victorious of all those external things. But in those moments, sometimes when we're reaching too hard, when we're trying to grasp too much the external, God has to stop us and say, enough. Enough of the external because I'm just as interested in your internal life. It matters to me Just as much as taking care of all these external things, it also matters what's happening in your heart. Enough. And in fact, I think that's a better, it captures the fuller sense of, I think, the the term, than just be still. God's saying, enough. Listen to me. Let me help you internally. Come before me. You hear that I am God. God for you, that I am firm for you, that I am safe for you, that I will be victorious for you if you let me. Be still enough and know that I'm God. So in conclusion here, I just want to draw a couple of thoughts, all this together in a couple of thoughts, because I think here we have an opportunity to respond. Yes, we can go about our lives and let God kind of break in just like he did in the psalm. But I think we can learn our lesson from the psalmist. And we can develop maybe a little bit of a discipline. What I call the discipline of earnest presence. Where we're intentional about about recognizing God's presence in our lives. Maybe it's just a thought. Maybe it's a prayer as soon as we wake up in, in uh, in the day. Or maybe it's strategically placed notes to help us remember he is God for us. But there's three things, really quickly, that, that this uh, psalm teaches us. First of all, we need the awareness. Recognize to be aware that we are not alone. All our actions, all our decisions, all our activities, all our thoughts, all our plans are, are laid bare before God. He is there. He is present in each of our lives. He understands. He recognizes. He sees. And God's explained this all the way through, right? We read this in Hebrews 13. God explains that I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus says, I will not leave you orphaned, right? In John chapter 14, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, displays the internal presence of the Spirit of God in his followers. After awareness, then, the decision to become aware, recognizing God's presence then we first need to submit. And we need submission. Now remember the character here that the psalmist is declaring, right? Remember this. This is not uh, an onerous um, God that is being presented. This is a victorious God that is here for us. Sometimes we need to hear the judge. Sometimes if sin is involved in our lives, we do need to come and recognizing that we're going to give account of our lives. But in this instance, this is about submitting to a God who is for us, who is secure, who is safe, who is trustworthy. But he invites us to submit. Be still and know that I am God for you. And then finally, and I'll end with this. Then we trust. We are aware of God's presence. We submit to his ways, to his character, to expressing his way. Not just knowing, for instance, about the uh, Beatitudes. Not just knowing about the Lord's Prayer, but letting our lives be a, a declaration of the character of God in our sphere of influence. Whether it's at home or whether it's at work, in our neighborhood, at church. It's trusting that his character is best. It is a starting point. Be aware. Take refuge and trust. God's character. Getting Getting things settled on the inside, these are all internal things to us. Getting things settled on the inside before God is not a guarantee that everything will settle on the outside. I wish it did. And one day it will when Jesus returns. But until then, we have the opportunity every day to order our inner person based on the trustworthiness of God and then respond to our outer lives accordingly. It can be difficult, and so sometimes we need the support of others along the way. But it must begin with each of us alone before God and listen to him say enough. Know that I am God for you. Then we will be ready. Then we'll be in a better position to live a life worthy of a calling that we have received. A calling that leads first to his presence, then in submission to live in light of a God who is firm safe and victorious. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for an opportunity to consider your word and how it applies to to our lives as individuals. I thanks for each individual who's here and the lives that they represent. I thank you, Father, that, that none of us in this room and online and, in fact, in the world escape your notice. That those details that sometimes seems so overwhelming to us, you can help us with. Thank you, God, that you are firm, that you are a rock on which we can build our life. We can trust you for the decisions. You are a a God that... that. um, Overlays your character in our own lives and that our lives can be expressions of that, that we can love people, that we can experience joy, that we can be patient, that we can be kind, not because they're internal to us or native to us, but because you provide, you empower us those things through the work of your spirit. And so I pray, Father, for each of us. I pray, God, that we would grow in our awareness, that we would become disciplined in our attentiveness to your presence in our lives, that we would grow and become more aware of how you work and that you are there and how you are doing this for us. For your sake, for your glory, in the name of Jesus, amen.
0: If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.